put like a nose hoop in. I saw. Yeah. And it like I feel like it automatically. You look so cool. <laughs> if you don't pay attention to the rest of me, I seem like <laughs> a really cool person. Like right. if you don't look at me from the neck down, you're like she gets a nose ring and some thick rim glasses. And you don't listen to anything I'm saying when I'm like, you guys, let me talk about this thing that's really exciting for me. Yeah. Yeah. I'm no, sorry. I love it. I love it. I'm thinking about in this new year getting either another piercing or another tattoo really badly. Yeah. So we'll see. Um, we'll see. I want another tattoo. Mm-hmm. Me too. I think we can talk about these things now. I think my mom forgot to keep listening. Like, I think Good. she thought it was just the first episode. <laughs> that was it. That's all we did. <laughs> um, yeah. Come to Pittsburgh and get a tattoo with me or I'll come up to Boston. I want to get one of the Triforce. Oh, cool. I want daisies and lavender in watercolor because that's who I am. <laughs> I love flowers. All right. So, Julie, um, oh, wait, before, hey, everybody, welcome to Historical Shade. We took like done? two weeks off, Laura. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We took like a month off. Oh, that's true. Yeah. But we were so ahead of the game. Like yes. the responsible adults we are. I'm sorry. I'm having a moment where I don't remember if I turned the oven off. I'll be right back. You can keep this in. <laughs> so she said the responsible adults we are, and then that she doesn't know she forgot to turn the oven off. Yep. All right. We're back. <laughs> it's it's off. Okay. It, it, am I the only one? Like, does everyone have sort of just like a weird paranoia? Mine is always that the oven's on, even if I haven't cooked. And it, it, to the point where sometimes I'll be on my way somewhere and it'll make me like your heart palpitates. Yeah. Yeah. Mine's that I left a candle on or the door unlocked. Mike's is the door. Yeah. Last night we were driving somewhere and he was like, first of all, it was snowing last night when we were Mm -hmm. driving. Um, and it's very cold in Boston. Um, but we're driving and all of a sudden he says, is Penny in the house? And I said, well, as opposed to where? And he said, I can't remember. Did I bring her in the house? <laughs> and I said, yes. Yes. Well, I have, um, my sister got me a dog cam for my dog. And I can also like, and he hangs out in the kitchen when I'm not home. And it also has like where you can talk to them. So if I hear him, like I get a notification if he barks too much and I can be like, hey, Dapper, settle. And then he'll settle. It's oh, really that's nice really cool. For my anxious little heart. So when it gives you the notification that he barks too much, is it like um, an audio thing or? There's an audio, you can set different notifications like a motion and a audio. Like if there's a certain amount of motion that happens, you can be notified that. I don't care about he's a dog. Um, but if there's a certain amount of audio, it's like for me, it's like if it's longer than 30 seconds of like higher than this level. I'll get a notification. So then um, I can look at the camera and be like, hey, Dapper, that's stop. That's really cool. If they would like to sponsor us. I feel like half, half of our podcast is us asking things that we want to sponsor us. And eventually someone's going to just buy it. Like, yes. Uh, wise we cameras. did it. <laughs> did it, did it, did it. Um, cool. Yay. Uh, so we took a month off and welcome back to Historical Shade. You didn't know we took a month off, but we knew we took 
Uh, so we are the podcast that talks about shady topics in history. We are not historians, so please correct us if you'd like. Get involved in the conversation. We want friends. Um, <laughs> oh, Julie's taking a picture. You can keep talking. No, then I look stupid. Jump into my shade in a moment. But I want to start off by talking about something very interesting that happened that I got a notification, obviously, from my favorite website, Atlas Obscura, that... In Essex, they officially have an Essex witch hunt victims memorial. Oh, wow. That got erected, I think, the past month or so. Um, and it's in Castle Park. And it reads, in memory of the, in, take two, in memory of the victims of the Essex witch hunts who were imprisoned in Colchester Castle. In the 16th and 17th centuries, over 200 women and men were held in cells of Colchester Castle on charges of witchcraft. Many died while awaiting their trial. Much of the evidence was based on superstition, ignorance, and hysteria. This plaque is placed as a memorial to them and in hope of an end to persecution and intolerance. Isn't that pretty? Anyway. So that's a little, not an update on one of our past shades, but just a little cool something else that's happening in history that we're finally starting to go like, hey, yeah, yeah, maybe if we have a plaque and memorial, you'll remember that witch hunts aren't a good thing. <laughs> and that witch hunts aren't exactly always about witches. Mm -mm. So and if someone says that they're the victim of a witch hunt, chances are they're actually not. Yes. <laughs> You don't know you're a victim of a witch hunt until like 70 of you are like in a cell or on trial for communism and you're like, wait, what? <laughs> Where did this come from? Crap. Um, so my shade today, um, I would like to, mine's like a, a different angle to our podcast, but oh. my shade is that this is an event that is not taught in American history classes and I think it needs to be taught. Um, because I love being a United States citizen. I love it. I love it. I love it. But we need some humility in realizing that sometimes we were the bad guys and sometimes we did really bad things and that we weren't always the hero of every single story. So this is about, uh, the massacre at Gnanhun. Do you know anything about it? I don't. Of course you don't, because they don't teach it in American history. Oh, gosh. These are the parts where, I mean, like, I, I double majored in theater and history. And yeah. just just in the time that we've done this podcast, the number of historical events and, and people who contributed to historical events, but their names I never knew, is phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah. It's... But I'll get, let me get to my story. But this is something that I actually didn't learn about until I was cast in the outdoor drama about it. Mm. Um, which, if you want to know crazy things about history, if there's an outdoor drama, go. Because they have the weirdest stories, and they're usually pretty intense. Um, so the, the story starts um, with Moravian missionaries uh, named John Heckewelder and David Zeisberger. Uh, David Zeisberger was an experienced missionary, and they were Moravians, which um, Moravians are like an offset of Lutheranism in that area. So in Ohio, Pennsylvania, I think Massachusetts, in the Northeast, there are a lot of different 
denominations that are offset of Lutheranism. So Moravians are one of them. So uh, David's Iceberger in March 1771 was in Eastern Pennsylvania. And what he really wanted to do was um, go out into the wilderness. By this time in 1771, the wilderness was Ohio. Like the, the border from Pittsburgh to the rest of Pennsylvania to Ohio was like wilderness. Um, but go into the wilderness and he wanted to spread his religion to Delaware and Muncie Native Americans. So in May 1772, David Zeisberger had established a community of Christian Delaware and Muncie Indians founding a town named New Shunbrun on the Tuscaroras River in Ohio. I don't know that was I don't know why that was funny to me. Shunbrun. Um whenever we did the show everyone pronounced it differently and it was very funny like just actors being actors with like different and so some would be Shunbrun and some would be Shunbrun and you're like what? <laughs> it's the same towns? Schoenbrunn. Um, so New Schoenbrunn off of the Tuscaroras River in Ohio. So this is now New Philadelphia is the town that this is in, but it's about two hours away from Pittsburgh. Um, so he had this community of Christian Native Americans that con like converted from their, uh, their ways to Moravianism that then joined this society. And a big thing about being a Moravian was you were a pacifist, much like the Quakers and the Shakers, you didn't believe in violence. Um, so the settlements flourished as more and more converts uh, joined from the Delaware tribe nearby. And it also, because a lot of them were Delaware, it gave them a lot of protection from the Delaware tribe as a whole, because the Delaware tribe that surrounded them said, hey, these are our people, we're going to protect them. Um, but in 1773 to 1774, there is a war in the area called Dunmore's War between Virginia and Ohio tribes that the Moravians, um, the Moravians were kind of in the middle of. So there are all of these warring Native American tribes and the Moravians were in the middle. So they didn't do anything to the Moravians in theory, but that also meant that some of their crops were stolen. There were battles nearby because they were pacifists and peacemakers. They were trying to help both parties, which means they were exhausting some of their resources. So that go comes and goes. They exhaust some of their resources. They're still flourishing. They're, they're not as flourishing as much as they were in the beginning because of that, but they're still doing okay. But in the um, early part of the American Revolution, uh, Zeisberger and Heckewelder they've created two more um, towns with these uh, converted Delaware. So they've created New Shunbrun, they created a place called Lichtenu, and a place called Gnadenhuden. Um, so they have three towns now for these people. Unfortunately, when the American Revolution starts to happen, they're in the middle of Ohio. Pittsburgh is run by the Americans, and then in between them and Detroit, which is run by the English, that's the trail going right through their towns. So the big trail that goes through Pittsburgh to Detroit goes through their towns. Mm -hmm. So they have um, 
tensions starting to grow on the frontier because there are battles happening all around, but then also you have soldiers going up and down these trails and also suspicions start to grow between the two. So the British say, hey, you are helping the Americans. The Americans say, hey, you're helping the British. And they're like, we are helping everyone. Like we, like if you come to our door asking for help, we will help you. It's not, we're not taking a side. We are not taking a side. Shunbrun, America's Sweden. America's, well, we'll get there. Oh no. Um, <laughs> so they, in 1777 and 1778, the Moravians actually abandoned two of their um, settlements. They abandon New Shunbrunn and Gnadenhutten and go to Lichtenau because they feel that if they pull all their forces together, if they stay close to each other, they're going to be safer because it just gets so intense. I have a, is there a reason everything is like vaguely German? Because um, the, the missionaries that founded the, were German. So oh. their names were David Zeisberger and John Heckewelder. So, so they get named the town, <laughs> but unlike the area where they're from, like the Tuscaroras River, that's uh, Delaware. <laughs> Very different than Gnadenhutten. Um, so in 1777, a Wyandotte war party comes in and raids the town. Um, and we have all of these war parties happening, happening, happening. So for the next few years, the groups of Moravians are hanging out in Lichtenau. Someone pronounce some pronunciation expert. Help me. Um, they're hanging out there, but they still have all these resources. Technically, have abandoned, but are still trying to get crops from them. While this is happening, tensions start to rise between the British, the Americans, and the uh, neighboring tribes on who they are helping. So while that happens, um, some colonels and um, officers from Detroit say that they are going to bring the leaders of the society to Detroit on trial. So they are going to bring them to Detroit on trial for treason against the crown by aiding the Americans. So they go down to Lichtenau and they get David Zeisberger, John Heckewelder, their wives, and they bring them up to Detroit for trial. While that is happening near Fort Pitt, there are um, a couple of crazy war parties that happen. During this, a lot of white settlers are murdered, like within view of their family members. And their women, children, babies murdered. And all the white settlers that survive go to Fort Pitt to tell the colonel, hey, these, these Delaware, these Muncie, these Shawnee, these Wyandotte, they're killing us, they're killing us. Now, the colonel that they tell is Colonel David Williamson. And Colonel David Williamson is known to not be a nice guy. Um, his mother did die from an, uh, a Native American um, scalping whenever he was younger, so he does have a lot of anger issues there. Um, so Williamson decides to take his soldiers to Gnadenhutten. Ah, why do I keep losing my place? Um, so he keeps taking his 
he's going to take his soldiers to Gananhuddin to talk to these um, settlers. So he goes to Gananhuddin, and in Gananhuddin, because they're coming in and out, isn't everyone. It is about 96 people. They went there to get some stuff. They went to get um, some of their crops that were growing. And they have several different columns that they divided up in. Some went to talk to white settlers, but the ones who went to Gnadenhut are the ones we're going to talk about now. Mm-hmm. So Colonel David Williamson decides that these, these uh, Moravian Delaware are guilty. Obviously, they're the ones that are committing these heinous, heinous crimes. But he decides to turn the fate of the Indians over to his men. So what they do is they lock um, the women in one building. They lock the men in another building. And they they decide the fate of his men. So two 19th century accounts agree that the militia officers were unable or perhaps unwilling to make the decision themselves. So he goes, hey, what should we do with them? And all the militia officers are like, I don't, nope, nope, nope. it's also possible that Williamson and his officers knew what would happen, given the mood of the frontier communities, if they knew that there, no one was held responsible for all of these things. So they decide to step forward and um, commence um, probably one of the... Unfortunately, we live in a society where 96 is not a huge number when it comes to mass murder, Um, but I I think this is one of the most heartbreaking episodes in American history. So with the women and children in one building and the men in the other building, they start um, to pray and sing hymns all night while the men talk back and forth about what to do with them. So then I'm going to read because I cannot give it the beauty that this article can. So I'm going to read um, a little bit about um, what happened. So the, the remaining militiamen commenced the work of murder. They began by separating several men supposed by the militia to be warriors and marched them out of town, planning to kill them at its edge. Two attempted to escape, but were killed in the process. Back in the town, the militia began braining the bound Moravians with a mallet in the houses in which they had been imprisoned, taking turns as each militiaman wearied. Then they scalped their victims, left the houses, eventually returned to finish off any they found alive, and burned the buildings. In this fashion, between the murders outside town and in the town, the frontier men uh, killed 96 unarmed people. 62 were adults, the remaining 34 were children. The work completed, the militiamen looted the towns, investigated New Shunbrun, packed up, and set out to return to the Ohio. As with most mass- massacres, they were, there were survivors. One young man named Thomas reportedly survived his scalping, hid among oh. the dead bodies, crept out, then hid until darkness enabled him to make his way to the Sandusky Trail. Similar- similarly, a young boy imprisoned in a house with the women hid briefly in a cellar then managed to escape through a window as the house burned around him. A young boy with him got stuck in the window and burned to death. The two survivors fell in with the work party from New Shunbrun, already on its way back to Sandusky. 
Most of the story of what happened in the town comes from these two boys. It circulated among the communities along the Sandusky and then was retold by Heckewelder and Zeisberger, for, from whom most subsequent accounts drew their narratives. So Heckewelder and Zeisberger, the two leaders of these communities, are in Detroit on trial when this happens. So they hear through the grapevine of soldiers that one of their towns, not only have 96 of their followers been brutally murdered, the town destroyed, they're also not there to help every other like members of those families cope. Yeah. Eventually, because of all this, um, the British are like, well, obviously you aren't helping the Americans. You're good. Bye. And let them go. Um, John Heckewelder does not actually ever return. He finds it too hard. Um, but David Zeisberger does. Um, and then, yeah. So the massacre... The massacre, um, like I said, is one of those things that is never told in American history, which is pretty um, frustrating. The town of Gnadenhutten is still there. It's still, um, uh, there's a historic site there. There's a historic site, Sean Brunn. But at the town of Gnadenhutten, there is a burial mound that has everything that they could find that was left of the people buried in one area. Um, and then a few years ago, the leader of the Shawnee tribe and the Delaware tribe uh, buried the hatchet, which is a, where they literally bury a hatchet um, and a hatchet of, and a symbol of peace in the area. So like the official peace of the area um, was kind of given its due a couple of years ago. But tis the story of the massacre at, the, at Ganondon. Not a happy shade. But no, but important. I mean, but important. We are, yeah, we're you know sarcastic <laughs> women, and we are known for you know our comedy. Like that's our bent. But we're also you know not historians first, but we're also telling stories of history first. And mm -hmm. these are such important events that just aren't acknowledged. And it, I mean, it's not even that. It's not even just that we don't acknowledge like the the darker events in U.S. history. We also don't acknowledge contributions of people that mm. have done important things, but maybe don't like fit the narrative. Or at the time that they were doing those things, they weren't necessarily, you know, the people that they wanted to highlight. Yeah. Old white men. <laughs> um, Jeez. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, y'all. Like I said, not a happy one, but I think it's just one of those stories that I'm like, um, and I drive through that area a lot because I've worked in not only the theater that was this show, but I've worked at several other theaters in that area. Um, and just the ground feels different. And, mm -hmm. um, and it's just, it's, it's so fascinating what humans will do when they assume guilt on someone like the amount of of and and there's a lot of articles going like did they actually did the militiamen actually think that they were guilty or were they just feeling the pressure like well someone has to be responsible and we have to do something yeah um, and yeah so yeah <laughs> and on 
also just the the fact that we only know about this because of, of the, the voices and the stories of, of these two people that were that managed to escape it's just mm-hmm. um i'm listening i usually have like a book that i'm reading and a book that i'm listening to simultaneously and the book that i'm listening to is for like commutes mm-hmm. but i've been listening to a book called the only plane in the sky mm-hmm. and it's an oral history of 9-11 and it's incredibly difficult to listen to I was listening to it this morning because it's it's riveting um if I'm able to I'm listening to it and but it's just a collection from so many different people and their perspectives and and just you know we are of an age where night like the events that day are, are kind of I mean, seared in my mind. Like I very yeah. distinctly remember I was like working in the costume shop that day in college and the costume shop manager came in and it was just very much like, I, I don't know if you've heard, but I, I do think you should know. Um, a plane has hit the tower, the, one of the twin towers. And it was still, even then at that moment, we all just thought, oh, that's, that's a sad tragedy. Someone mm-hmm. lost control. Mm-hmm. Um, and so just the importance of of telling stories and and telling everyone's stories that we can hear to sort of put all that together and shape the narrative well and now that you're saying that how weird would it be going back to going back to the massacre like if those two boys didn't survive it probably would have been just wiped from history Mm -hmm. because we don't have the the counter argument and likely there are similar events in our history in this country that are wiped from history for that exact reason. Mm-hmm. Hey, if anybody has one that they, they're like, you know, any story that you're like, man, we should know about this more. Let us know. We would love to tell it hopefully better than I did this last one, but we would love to, yeah, just it's, it's so powerful. What one or two opposing views can do to change everyone's viewpoint you know like if these two boys didn't speak out we wouldn't know yeah yeah so laura Mm -hmm. do you have any future light Hmm. um so one of my future lights is that i am I have a few weird i like to make the weirdest resolutions it's not like i'm gonna lose 12 pounds or i'm gonna it's usually uh, consuming of entertainment is my, you, like I find something. And so this year I want to know my superheroes better because it's a genre that I just, I've watched maybe three Marvel movies. Well, into that by 2019, I watched about three. Um, and I was like, I'm going to start watching superhero movies. I'm going to watch the superhero television shows. I'm going to read some comic books. I'm just going to get a little bit more little bit more versed in it so that's my yeah i i love that <laughs> um that makes me think of shit's creek when alexis is like i love that journey for you <laughs> and she's not being sarcastic she loves yeah. that journey for you um i think that's wonderful yeah. i i also have been like very introspective because i've now sort of been in boston for a year and i'm and this is something that I'm working on, but I'm 
very much someone that sort of sets markers for myself. Mm-hmm. And then when I, when I don't reach that marker that no one else is aware of, <laughs> I, I get disappointed. Like I, yeah. like I failed myself. So I'm, I'm really trying to, rather than look ahead of, I need to do this, this, and this sort of look back and, and celebrate what I've done. I mean, I, I was talking to someone and I was just, <laughs> I was really disappointed in myself. I think, was it you? Or it's just like, I just oh. feel like I, I haven't, yeah, it was me. Accomplished anything. And you were just pointing out all that I had accomplished. And then I felt like a jerk because it was like, how can you not know that, Julie? But I, we we are at times our own worst enemy. So I, my future light is I'm trying to be uh, my biggest supporter. I love that. Do you know what Enneagram you are? I have, I don't even know what that means, Laura. Okay. Is it like a, a star sign thing? No, no, no. It's um a... I'm going to say personality type loosely. I bet you're a three. I bet you are a three so hard. Um, it's called the achiever. And I bet you're- <laughs> uh, I'm going to take the quiz before we record our next episode. Okay. Well, and then ladies and gentlemen, she'll be a three. Um, I'm a two, which is um, every, well, every Enneagram has, so there's one through nine and everyone has a need and it's like, in acting, you're super objective in life. And so a two is needs to be loved. And so that's the whole like, and a three is needs to achieve. And then it just helps you get like, first off, it shows you states of being like the really good points about your number and the really bad points about your number. Um, So I can be like, if I'm having a Oh, I'm unlovable. Nobody loves me. I'm like, okay, Laura, your two is showing. You're just having a bad two day. It's okay. Um, and so you probably were having a bad three day of like, I'm not doing enough. I'm not doing enough. And it's like, oh, my three is showing. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Oh I'm sorry. Gosh. Okay. I can't wait to take this quiz. Yeah. yeah. Everyone okay. else take the quiz. Let us know what you are. Um, <laughs> we'll just Enneagram historical people and be like, oh, they're obviously <gasps> a four. I love that. Yeah. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye. Bye. Historicalshade at gmail.com. And you can follow us on Instagram at historical underscore shade or Facebook at historical shade. We don't have a Twitter.